Tonight we're, um, we're thinking about one of the oldest questions that's been going around, a big one, um, which you probably picked up hopefully if you were reading along just then. How can you live forever? How can you live forever? Now, that's a question that applies to everyone because everyone is alive, yeah? And it's a question that's a pretty old one. And um, it's a question that, um, yeah, has a lot of significance, but it's also one that's hard to answer. Um, And if you guys are reading along then, Jesus actually um, comes across a guy who asks him this question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Yeah? Um, And so I'm curious to see what kind of other ideas are out there. And so I kind of went Googling, as you do, um, because I thought with a question that's so hard to answer, I wonder what different ideas are out there. Um, Now, this is a documentary called How to Live Forever. I was actually going to show you guys a trailer, but I don't have time. Um, Now, basically, in the trailer, you get to see that this guy is having a midlife crisis, not that dude. And... um, and he's basically trying to work out, how can I stop aging? How can I um, live forever? How can I stay healthy? Um, and he gets to know all these heaps old people that seem to be doing all this hectic stuff, and he wants to know what their secrets are. Um, that guy's one of the old dudes. There's a few other people as well. I looked into it, and um, that was made in 2007. Um, all the old people that are in it that are in there for like, oh, how do you do this? Like, you're so you know, good for your age. They died within two years of making it, like all of them, except for one who died within three years. She died like three years later. Um, so they're all dead now, so I don't think that DVD really offers the answer. Um, uh, so anyway, next one. Um, there's another thing I found. If I only have one minute of life left, all I have to do to live forever is wait for that minute in front of a microwave. Yeah, so, okay, I'm sorry, this is, maybe is this too intellectual for juniors? Everyone's kind of going, what? <laughs> Basically, when you're really keen for something, it becomes relative and time feels like it slows down. So I'm in front of a microwave and I want my popcorn, and it's the longest 30 seconds of my life because I'm heaps hungry for it. So this guy's called the Philosoraptor, if you're not familiar with him. And he says, if I only have one minute of life left, then if I want to live forever, all I have to do is wave something in front of a microwave, and that minute will go on forever. Next one. All right. This guy, he's pretty spiritual. Check him out. Stress is the cause of death, whereas self-realization is the key to eternal life. All right? Now, already, you know, you're thinking maybe I should trust him. He does have a beard. He's looking pretty wise. And it's a pretty long beard as well. Um, so I reckon there's something pretty legit about that. Self-realization is the key to eternal life. I mean, that sounds pretty fancy. Basically, if you realize who you are, you live forever, apparently. Um, he's already looking kind of old, so I feel like he's kind of wrong. Um, I know who I am. I don't know if that's going to make me live forever. Um, but, yeah, apparently self-realization is the key to eternal life. And then there's another one. YOLO. False. Press square to respawn. Um, So other people have different ideas on what it means to come back as well. Um, Blake, that was for you, wherever you are. Um, (laughs) um, So um, there's a bunch of different things out there. And those those things might not have the answer, all right? I'm pretty sure COD doesn't. Just listen up, guys. But this guy wanted to test Jesus and wanted to see if Jesus had the answer. Not Not just simply because... He was actually curious to find out the answer, but also because he wanted to test Jesus, which is part of what it says. So we're going to get into it, but before we get into the answer that Jesus gives, uh, I think it's good to clarify the question. So he isn't asking, it's good to work out exactly what he's asking and the wording of it. He isn't asking, how do I receive eternal life? How can this happen for me? Um, he's asking, what do I need to do 
to, to earn eternal life. All right? He's asking, what do, what do I need to do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's his question. In other words, what is God's standard for heaven? What do I need to do to deserve it? How, am I, how can I be good enough? Um, what is the standard? Um, and so Jesus answers. He gives God's standard for having eternal life in heaven because that's what the man was asking. Um, and so that's what we're reflecting on tonight. So if you're thinking, what, where are we going tonight? I put it there. It, it looks like pink, but I swear I did not choose that color. But um, I, like, honestly, now I'm embarrassed. But no, okay, in the pink writing, what is God's standard for heaven? All right. So that's what, um, that's what we're thinking about tonight. What is God's standard for heaven? So you can follow that away. That's where we're going with this. So um, God's standard for heaven is perfection. Yeah? Have a look with me. Verse 27, all right? We're in, we're in chapter 10, verse 27. Have a look. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself, all right? Jesus said, what does the law say about it? And this man goes, the law says this. And he's like, yes, you've answered correctly, all right? So Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I said God's standard is perfection. You might kind of go, ooh, but is, is that the same thing as perfection? Like, well, what's going on here? Like, loving perfectly, is it really that big a deal? You might kind of go, what does that mean exactly? To, to love God with all my soul, mind, strength, heart, to love my neighbor, what does that look like? Um, like, is it, is it easy as, like, we're thinking about eternal life here, yeah? Living forever, not just a long time, not just thousands of years, eternity, all right? Eternal life and saying, if you want that, just love God and love other people. Are you thinking, oh, that's sweet. Is that easy as? To just love others. Um, well, we're going to hear what the radio thinks. You might know this song and think about, is this an easy thing or what's going on? Oh, yeah. Make sure you're looking at the lyrics. seven girls are broken hearted the song stopped go youtube it all right you'll get over it okay so basically he's saying love is walking down the street and being stoked on life enjoying the sunshine listening to the birds chirp and understanding them um loving life enjoying the blue skies um yeah chirping with the birds having all these buzzy feelings all right you're getting to have all these buzz, buzzy feelings. If you're feeling love, if you love someone, you get to enjoy all this stuff, all right? In other words, love is enjoying what makes you happy, all right? I'm stoked on life. The sunshine, the birds, this person, these feelings. Man, this is just sick. I'm doing what I want. I'm with who I want. This, I get to have this, these feelings. Um, 
which means if, if love is something, if I, I, if I love something, according to this guy, it means that thing makes me happy, all right? That makes me happy, so I love it, yeah? Um, so to love things is to seek my own happiness, which means it's not surprising when the next lines in the song are, like, if loving things is to seek happiness. I can't believe it's so simple. It feels so natural to me. If this is love, then love is easy. It's the easiest thing to do. Um, I'm not too surprised that seeking your own happiness feels natural to you. Um, and, you know, if, if that is love, then yeah, love is easy. Um, but is that love, though? Well, not according to God. Not a chance. In fact, um, I've got a verse up there on the screen, 1 John 5.3. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. Love is sacrificial and painful and hard. See, we can have this idea of love is just me enjoying something. But we can, like, people can take enjoyment in things that are obviously harmful and unloving. So love is actually a gesture that is sacrificial. It's for something, something else. If you love them, you are treasuring them. You're valuing them. It's not seeking yourself. By, by very definition, love is actually seeking something else in someone else and a value in that. Um, and so it makes sense that if you are doing something out of love for someone, that might come at an expense for yourself. Um, so remember here, I'm talking about God's standard. And he's not just asking for like partial kind of casual love or whatever, like, you know, this easy sort of stuff. He actually is demanding everything. Uh, if you look, um, it'll be up on the screen. He says, all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So I just want to think about what these things would really involve. So, so it doesn't say love with part of it, by the way. It says love with all of each of these things, right? All of it. So all your heart, right? So that's emotionally. All your desires, what you care most about, all of that. You want to love, love God with all of that. Your soul, spiritually, the immaterial part of us. So not just physical stuff, but everything in who we are. Strength. So physically, everything we do with our actions, with all our strength, with everything we want to be heading towards God, loving Him, with all our mind, so logically, so with everything we know and our deepest beliefs, like our biggest convictions, with all our reason and logic and understanding, we're going, yeah, I love God with all of that. So these are all pretty big things. Um, And like, if you're thinking, well, that is a big ask, I don't know, imagine getting, uh, you're getting married, all right, and you, you're at the altar and you and your you know, husband or wife are giving your vows and your husband or wife is saying in their vows, or I promise to love you like sometimes in sickness and in health, actually maybe just in health, that would probably be easier. Um, when things are easy, I don't know, do you reckon that's going to fly? You're going to be at the altar being like, man, we should have rehearsed this or something like, what? why didn't this come up before? Um, I don't know, that's going to be awkward. But point is, is that going to fly at a wedding? No. You're kind of going, hold on, is this love or is this just I happen to make you happy and so when that works for you, you're enjoying it. When it doesn't, eh, I don't want any of that. The vows are saying love in sickness and in health, yeah, because it comes at a cost. So if we can understand that for just relationship with other humans, then why should it surprise us that it would be any different with our Creator and Lord God, the one who made us and who we belong to, that He would expect, well, you exist because of me. So, of course, 
Shouldn't we love him? We exist in everything we have. Everything else that we could possibly love is something that he's created and that he has brought into our life. So is it bizarre for us to, to, to be surprised at that when we can so naturally expect it at a wedding? Um, so think, um, for your sec, think for a sec. Um, how are you going at loving God yourself? And how are you going at loving your neighbor? These are the two things that Jesus said was, was correct in terms of this is God's standard, to love God with all of those things. Jesus says, by the way, to the man who, said, who answered correctly, he goes, yep, you answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. He doesn't say, you answered correctly, you shall live. He said, yeah, you got the right answer, so go do that and you shall live. So it's not just know this and that's the key. Oh, man, you, that was the right quote. You're in. You read the book. No, no, he's saying, do this. Actually, go and love God with these things, with all these things. And go and love your neighbor. Um, so, if you're hearing that, and you're hearing what it means to love God with all of that stuff, and you're hearing that love is sacrificial and costly, and it's saying, don't just, like, a little bit of cost or a little bit of love, but with everything, and then you have to actually pull that off for eternal life. I hope you're realizing that, hold on a second, that's, that doesn't fit with, well, when I look at my life, that certainly isn't reflected in my life, and I don't know if I could direct my life to be able to pull that off. I think that's asking a bit much. I hope that you're sensing that and not kind of going, yep, easy, like the song says. Um, because the Bible actually says that, yeah, we do fall short of that. Um, so the next thing I want to help you guys understand is, um, so after acknowledging that God's standard is perfection, to now recognize we actually fall short of that standard. So we fail at this. We suck at it. Um, and hopefully, if you guys are being honest with yourselves, you, you'll know that too. Um, and if you look with me in a second, you'll see that even this man that was talking to Jesus, even he gets that. Even he was feeling like he couldn't pull it off. He even tried to find a loophole to try and twist the rules so that he could try and twist it so that it was something that he could pull off. Have a look in verse 29. All right. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's, he's saying, he, like he said, he wanted to justify himself because what he'd already heard, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor. Yep, man, like if you can do that, go for it. You've got eternal life. And he's like, clearly sensing, not feeling like he's, he's justified. By the way, justify means to be declared innocent or to be made innocent, all right, to show that you are good enough. All right? And so he's trying to show that he's good enough. He hears that God has this massive standard to love God and love your neighbor, and so he tries to lower the standard by trying to make the love your neighbor thing only apply to some people. Okay, so he's like, well, okay, maybe I can give this a go. Who who accounts as a neighbor then? All right, um, by asking who my neighbor is, he's really asking who counts as my neighbor, so I only have to love them and no one else. Because you know, if it's only like a small group, like if it's those that you know actually live next door to me or something, then maybe I can pull that off. Right? He's trying to bring it down. It's like, um, you know, if you're a, a doctor or you, you, know, you saw a doctor and this guy was like training him up and he's like, okay, so part of your role, you need to try, your, you need to try really hard to keep patients alive. All right? That's pretty much fundamental to what you're trying to do. And he's like, oh, like to keep patients alive, right? So like if someone like a staff member or like a visitor, if they like collapsed with a heart attack, probs wouldn't have to worry about that yet because like, I mean, technically like they're not a patient yet. So would that be cool, like, if I was just, like, able to, like, text or something? Um, and when you say, like, try hard, 
to keep them alive. How hard is hard? Like, like when have I tried hard enough that I get to stop? Obviously, you kind of go, are you actually concerned with, with helping people be alive or are you just trying to work out the easiest option you can to try and tick the boxes so that you get what you want? Yeah? If it only applies to people that are already in a hospital bed because they're officially patients, then you can justify yourself when someone that's not a patient, like a staff member, collapses and has a heart attack and you don't do anything. And you, well, you know, they're not a patient. Loophole, what up? All right? You think you've escaped it and then it's like, well, hold on a second. You obviously haven't got it at all. So, he comes up with this loophole and tries to throw that at Jesus. Does this work? No. Does he find a loophole to justify himself? No. Jesus tells him, everyone is your neighbor. All right? Now, come with me. I'm going to read a bit of a chunk here, but you've read it before, so it should be all right. 30 to 37. All right? Jesus gives an illustration. All right? He tells a parable to help make the point that actually everyone is your neighbor. Now, some context for this is that there's a, gr- a group of people all right, called Samaritans, and they were actually enemies of the Jews, who were the people that were around Jesus at the time, okay? They were actually enemies, these two nations, these two groups of people. They were enemies, didn't like each other. So it's good to recognize that a Samaritan is someone that is an enemy, okay? It's helpful to know. All right, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So he's saying, who is your neighbor? It's everyone, even your enemy. Who was the neighbor in that one? The Samaritan was the neighbor, the enemy. He was the neighbor. It wasn't because of like, what category do you fit into? Are you a close friend? Are you this? Are you that? He showed love. He was the neighbor. And so hopefully, like if, if you're following, this guy doesn't think he can pull it off. He's saying, well, who counts as a neighbor? Jesus comes back with everyone. Cool, you good with that? The guy's going to be thinking, this is too much. And so this is why I'm saying, we fall short of God's standard, and this is what this guy was sensing. He didn't like what he was hearing. Okay. So, we need to recognize if this is God's standard, if, if, if he is so perfect and good like this, we have no hope of pulling this off. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll see that. I mean, not only do we fail to love God with all our strength, all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and fail, fail to love our neighbor, but, I mean, we don't even get halfway there. And that's just, you know, with God, let alone with other people. So, I want to challenge you guys... Don't make the same mistake this man did. Stop trusting in yourself to pull all this stuff off. Okay? He was trying to pull it off himself. Alright? We need help. Alright? We're desperate. In fact, when you think about this, that, that parable that Jesus gave about the guy that had been robbed and was desperate on the side of the road and needed help, we're actually a bit like him 
when it comes to what kind of hope we have for eternal life. We've got nothing. So my third point, right? So God's standard is perfection. We fall short of that standard. The point I'm making now, Jesus is like the Good Samaritan, right? We're like the beaten man, and Jesus is like the Good Samaritan. Let me kind of show you how, all right? Verses 36 and 37, grab your Bibles, have a look. 36 and 37. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. All right? So the guy that did it right was a Samaritan. Why? Because he had mercy, not just on anyone, but on his enemy. All right? The Samaritan was the neighbor. He did it right because he had mercy on his enemy, while his enemy was powerless, desperate, and in need of help. Now, there should be a verse that comes up on the screen that shows how Jesus was like this. Read along. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we fail to love the God who made us and created us and gives us everything we have. And yet he loves us while we were spitting on him, while we were his enemies, while we were rejecting him as the Lord that he is, he had mercy on us. He looked at us and had mercy. So in the, in the story with the Samaritan, the guy that got robbed, I mean, that he, he hadn't done anything to the Samaritan personally. Yeah, they were enemies because of what background they had. But... It's not like personally there had been something going on, yet we have personally rejected God and yet he still had mercy on us to the extent that he died for us. He didn't take us to a hotel for the night and give us a place to stay. He gave us a room. No, no, no. He's given us eternal life in Jesus and he's given us forgiveness. He died for us. And so, guys, thank God that he succeeds where we fail. Yeah, okay, we're not up to God's standard. Yeah, okay, we don't pull off loving others and loving God properly. But Jesus did. And Jesus loves us, which is good news. So thank God that he succeeds where we fail. Um, And before I was saying, stop trusting in ourselves, like we can't pull this off. Stop trusting in ourselves and start trusting in Jesus, the one that can pull it off. So the one who has mercy on us even while we were hopeless and dead and his enemies. Because the truth is, for eternal life, the question I raised at the beginning of the night, our only hope is Jesus. Our only hope. And when we consider God's standard, that becomes pretty clear. We will never be worthy of our holy God, but he had mercy on us in Jesus. See, what happened was, Jesus faced our judgment for falling short of God's standard. He faced that judgment that we deserve in our place, when he died on the cross. He, he faced it in our place on the cross so that it's actually paid for, so that we stand before God washed clean and justified, made innocent. We're not guilty anymore because it's been paid for by Jesus. And so instead of trusting in ourselves to be good enough, we're called to trust in Jesus because he was good enough. And if you recognize, if you're like this um, expert in the law and he's going, man, I'm never going to pull this off. 
Can I narrow down who a neighbor is? Like, what can I do to try and find a loophole? Um, he's freaking out. I don't know if I've got a hope at this. I've got no chance. That weight is lifted off your shoulders if you understand what Jesus has done for you. So please hear that. I want you to feel the weight and go, I'm not up to God's standard. I realize that. I, I, that's so clear. You need to get that. But when you get that, you'll realize that Jesus taking our judgment in our place has to be the best news you will ever hear. Because it's paid for and we have eternal life even when we don't deserve it. Because God loves us while we were his enemies. So, remember, these are some problems with the other guy's thinking. Um, the man asked, what must I do? Wrong. All right? Jesus does it. All right? The question has a problem to begin with. He is assuming he is capable of doing something to earn it. All right? He's going, well, obviously I can do something to earn it. Just tell me what it is. What must I do and I'll do it. So he's assuming he can pull it off himself. He's trusting in himself. Wrong. Jesus does it. In fact, Jesus has done it. He has died on the cross. And not only that, he rose again. He didn't just face our judgment. He beat it and he came back from the grave three days later. And so we have absolute confidence. And so it has been won for us. He has achieved it. It is done. We just need to trust in him and what he has done. Other thing is, this man tries to justify himself. So he hears God stand and he goes, uh, I'm not up to scratch with that. So he tries to justify himself by twisting what the standard is and trying to make it something it's not. Wrong. Stop trying to justify yourself. Jesus justifies us. He makes us innocent because he pays for what we deserve in our place. Best news ever. That he would love us so much. So, um, I don't have too much more to say, but I want you guys to take away two main points. All right? Okay. Two nuggets of wisdom, as I've called them. All right? So, nugget one. We don't love our God or neighbor properly, and we need Jesus. All right? It's the first thing I want you guys to recognize. Second thing, if you have put your trust in Jesus and you are realizing, yes, I depend on him, if you ask someone who is forgiven, still love God and love others. You know that's what pleases God because you had to, to realize that you needed to be forgiven. And so if you really have turned to Jesus' forgiveness, for forgiveness, you'll want to follow him as your Lord. If you're trusting him and recognizing that he is Lord and he is right and he is God, then you'll know that we should follow him if you truly believe it. And so, yes, we fall short. So don't try and earn heaven and turn to Jesus for forgiveness. But if you're trusting in that, it'll show by the fact that you are making an effort to recognize, well, actually, that is what God wants. I do want to love others. And I do want to love God. Look what he's done for us. He died for us while we were his enemies. And so I want to grow more and more and more at loving God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my mind. Um, so two things. We don't live up to the standard. We need Jesus. As someone who is forgiven, I want to work hard at loving God and others more. I've got two verses that are up on the screen for you, so don't need to spend time flicking. Just look up there. They're from 1 John. If you can't read because it's small, that's okay. I'll just read it out loud, but try your best. All right? This is love. Not that we loved God. All right? We stuffed that up. But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. See what happened there? So 
we haven't pulled it off properly before God, but he loved us. But then it goes on to challenge us and say, and so like God has loved us, still go on and grow in loving one another. All right, next one. We love because he first loved us. All right, it wasn't like something we were all over it. We only love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. But whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, if you're thinking like that other man was in the, in the passage before, you might be going, oh, brother and sister. So that's only like, like three people maybe. Sweet, cool. Um, we even know from the passage before, obviously it's saying love one another. It's not meaning like <laughs> literally. And so don't fall into the trap of making loopholes when we know that actually we're forgiven. Okay? So um, we're going to, um, in a second, I'm about to pray and we're going to go into discussion groups. What I want um, for us to do in discussion groups is to reflect on those two main nuggets. All right? So if you can, next slide. Two points to take away. We don't love God or our neighbor properly. We need Jesus for forgiveness. All right? I want to think, do you guys agree with that? Do you see that or do you not? Um, do you recognize that we need Jesus or do you think, no, that's not true. I can pull that off. Um, second thing, as someone who is already forgiven, still grow in loving God and loving others. How are you going with that? Okay? So there's application here for all of us, whether you are here for the first time, whether you're you know, new to this stuff or whether you're on board with this stuff and you've been around for ages, do you recognize that you need Jesus and are you growing in loving him more? Yeah? Cool. So that's the two things I want us to chat about in groups. I'm going to pray um, and then um, Jeremy's going to get up. So, cool. Dear Lord, thank you so much for loving us even while we were your enemies. I pray that uh, we would um, recognize how we fall short of your standard um, and feel the weight of it but then feel that weight lifted with joy as we realize that you have taken off our shoulders and paid for it when Christ died on the cross. Thank you so much for that act of love, and I pray that as you loved us, we would trust in you, not in ourselves to pull it off, and that we would grow more and more in loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love each other. In Jesus' name, amen.